On behalf of Christians in Parliament, a very warm welcome to our carol service this evening. We are delighted to welcome the Reverend Richard Cokin as our guest speaker this evening. Richard is a Church of England minister in South West London and also leads a weekly Bible study here for parliamentarians. The service will proceed without further direction. Please stand for the carols and sit for the readings and for the solo pieces. As we begin, let us pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray this evening and this Christmas that we would delight to hear again the message of the angels and in our hearts and minds go to Bethlehem with the shepherds and the Magi to understand the things that happened there and together with them worship the Saviour who is Christ the Lord. At this time, we pray also for the needs of the whole world, for peace on earth and goodwill among all its people, for wisdom for all those in authority to govern with justice, truth and peace. In the name of Christ, Amen. Amen. Please would you stand to sing our first carol.
The first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and for ever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
The second reading is from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace.
third reading is John chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth.
The fourth reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 80. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Well, good evening, everybody. One of my favourite stories of Christmas. You may have heard of the little boy who was kneeling by his bed on Christmas Eve, praying that he might receive presents the following day. And his prayers began, Dear Jesus, I've been good for a whole year, please. And he thought, actually, that's not strictly true. Dear Jesus, I've been good for a whole month. Please give me a... Well, that's not... Dear Jesus, I've been good for a whole day. No, he had a brilliant idea. He ran downstairs to the front room where there was a nativity scene and he grabbed hold of the figure of Mary. He ran upstairs again, knelt behind his bed and he said, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, give me a bite for Christmas. (laughs) Now, of course, many question the enduring value of Christmas. It's been said if we take Christ out of Christmas, we're left with M&S, hardly the reason for a festive season. Thankfully, as we'll see, there's much more to Christmas than Rack Sue winning X Factor and Toff winning I'm a Celebrity and Alexandra Burke surviving to the Strictly final. I don't know what the highlight of the year has been for you. Uh, one top moment for me was when one of my five children told me the exciting news that Prince Harry was going to marry Angela Merkel. I thought another example of outstanding sacrificial service to help the Brexit negotiations. <laughs> but as 2017 draws to a close, it does seem that British society is increasingly gripped by pessimism. Now, I'm an amateur here, but despite significant victories against Islamic State and progress in the Brexit negotiations, it's not just the never-ending cycle of global crises, is it, from 
Syria to Yemen to the Rohingya, or that surveys reveal that Britons expect millennials to be worse off than their parents, or, or even specific tragedies like the terror attack here in Westminster in March, the bombing in Manchester Arena in May, or indeed the Grenfell Tower fire in June. It seems to me there's a deeper sense of foreboding about the future, and of course, it struck me the other day that there's a hole somewhere in the Merton Cemetery which will probably one day receive my body, and there must be a hole where you will be buried too. The Oxford Dictionary entries for the 2017 Word of the Year reveal familiar online anxieties. If the Word of 2016 was post-truth, reflecting a loss of confidence in fact-based concepts in favour of personal narratives, this year, and I quote, more broadly we can see some of modern society's most prevalent concerns reflected in our frequently visited entry pages, religion, racism, terrorism, migration and environment, along with both power and respect. It's no surprise that ethics also ranks highly in our top entry page list, as some find themselves questioning the integrity of our global media, corporations and even leaders. I just wonder whether our culture is increasingly gripped by hopelessness as we try and turn Christmas into the winterval. There's something serious being lost here. In October, just to comment that my children try to keep me up to date. Multi-award winning singer-songwriter Sam Smith released a track from his forthcoming album called Pray. You may know the lyrics. I'm young and I'm foolish. I've made bad decisions. I block out the news, turn my back on religion. There's dread in my heart and fear in my bones. And I just don't know what to say. Maybe I'll pray, pray, maybe I'll pray. And perhaps many of us are sceptical about the relevance of traditional church ceremonies and the credibility of church leaders, and yet we long for the compassionate ethics of a divine power. And I just wonder whether we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. When we dig beneath the years of religious mumbo-jumbo and go back to the original text of the Gospel writers, like this passage from Luke's Gospel. Luke was a doctor writing a serious historical biography of Jesus. His account is attested and outlined by non-Christian historians of the period and reckoned by scholars to be a reliable record. Here we discover the original reason for Christmas in these words that were spoken by Zechariah, a priest in the temple of Jerusalem, to his own newly born son. If I may uh, point you to verse 76 at the top of the page, we pick up the story where he's addressing his son and he writes... It says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. We know that Zechariah had previously been visited by an angelic messenger, announcing that his son would grow up to be God's famous prophet, John the Baptist. What's curious here is that Zechariah seems to be more excited about somebody else whom his son will introduce to the world. He carries on, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. In other words, the Lord God is going to visit our world in categories that we can understand in human skin and bone. It's so absurd that we might dismiss it out of hand if it wasn't for the mountain of evidence that Jesus was indeed divine. 
healing lepers, calming storms, even raising the dead, all in front of incredulous crowds, teaching the Bible and challenging the government of his day with unparalleled wisdom and concern for the poor, repeatedly explaining that the impossible had happened, that he is indeed God come down to be with us. He arrived at that first Christmas. It struck me to ignore him as as crazy as the cast of the new Hamilton musical, Ignoring Lin-Manuel Miranda. I don't know if you've gone as crazy about that musical as my family. My daughter's learned all the songs off by heart and we're desperate for tickets. You may know that Miranda is the scriptwriter who arrived at the Victoria Palace Theatre recently for the opening uh, performances. You'll know that Hamilton is the hit Broadway musical based on the Ron Chernow biography of Alexander Hamilton, one of America's forgotten founding fathers. It's a hip-hop rap musical that swept up multiple Tony Awards and it's opened to rave reviews. But when you hear the song, better still, when you see the production, it would be absurd, wouldn't it, to imagine that it just happened by accident. To imagine that maybe there is no scriptwriter after all. Just because you haven't met Miranda, therefore he doesn't exist. How dull not to want to meet him if he came to visit. It seemed to be the same way when we watch Blue, Blue Planet 2 and we admire the dancing starfish and the octopus fighting with a pyjama shark and a sea full of floating otters and manta rays swimming in spirals and humpback whales gulping down tons of small fish. And we campaign against what humanity is doing to the oceans with our plastic. All these wonders of the deep were designed and evolved by God to decorate his garden ponds with beautiful clues to his power and his glory. Nature is his masterpiece. David Attenborough's smoky voice attributes the creation to Mother Nature, but the Bible tells us that this child, to be born in a cattle shed and later nailed to a cross, made them all for our enjoyment. I know it sounds far-fetched, but could it be true that God has actually visited our world to make himself known to us and to save us because he loves us. And Zechariah then lists three things that this Lord will do, eternal wonders, announced by his son John to be accomplished by this Lord. Firstly, in verse 77, the knowledge of salvation. The knowledge of salvation. Do you see where it says there? To give his people the knowledge of salvation. He means knowing how to be saved from our despair and our guilt and the eternal consequences of our selfish behaviour, which has got to be good news. Being saved is always a great experience. There's nothing to be frightened about in being saved. Many years ago, I was at Hope Cove in Cornwall. and Somebody kindly taught me to uh, windsurf and then left me. And the wind got up and uh, my windsurf board began to drift out of the cove and try as I might going backwards and forwards across the, the bay I actually began to drift out to sea and, and actually it began to get dark and, and uh, I was drifting further and further out and I looked over to my shoulders to see if America was any closer but it wasn't and, and I think I'm in serious trouble here and I was so tired I actually collapsed on the board and just sort of hung onto the board and thankfully as the gloom descended and I thought this is it I heard a voice from the, from the gloom a little fishing boat had uh, come out to see me and said uh, you alright would you like some help and I said, yes, please. And he towed me back to shore and to my friend, who I went to see a little later that evening. It's always good to be saved. How absurd to have said, no, no, I'm fine, thanks very much, and proudly said, no, I'll paddle back myself. 
Can I tell you, it's a great thing being saved. The knowledge of salvation is a wonderful thing. Nothing to be frightened of, but to be explored. But how will such salvation be accomplished? Well, verse 77, secondly, the knowledge of salvation comes from the forgiveness of sins. Do you see verse 77 through? The forgiveness of their sins. Again, it's a wonderful thing to have our sins forgiven by God. And then to receive strength from his Holy Spirit to turn from sin and gradually change. I think of two young husbands of women who come to our church. One was secretly addicted to gambling until the police arrived at his home to arrest him for stealing from work. And the other had been visiting prostitutes until his new wife discovered him cheating. Both were shamed and repentant and have found forgiveness from God and from their wives now. And the trust in their marriage is gradually rebuilt. It's a wonderful thing, you know, to find forgiveness, whatever our vice, whatever our selfishness. Don't you long to be forgiven for all the things that nobody else knows about, for things you could never admit publicly? Don't you long to be forgiven? Perhaps worst of all, the things we haven't done, the things we never even thought of doing, the kindnesses and the good things we've neglected. Of course, no one's suggesting that it's easy for God to forgive. We get used to it because it's written all over the Bible. It's so wonderful. A few weeks ago, I had the joy of actually marrying my son to his uh, beloved. And I was able to remind him of a time when he was a teenager. He doesn't normally struggle with a temper, but he did um, lose it one day, probably because of his brother. And he punched a hole in his bedroom wall. And uh, he came downstairs in tears uh, the damage that he'd done. And of course, you know, my wife and I, we forgave him immediately and all, was, um, all was, was well, except, of course, there was still a hole in the wall and somebody had to pay for it to be fixed. And the wonder of Christmas is found in the grace of God that he gave his son Jesus to come and die for us on a cross so that we can be forgiven. The forgiveness for us is completely free. And what a joy it is to be forgiven once and for all doesn't mean it was without cost. It cost God in flesh on the cross when he took our place and swapped places with us on the cross. And he was treated as if we were us. So that we can be treated as if we were him. He carried the consequences of our sin so that we might be treated as children of God entitled to a place in heaven with him. It's a wonderful forgiveness, but it was a costly forgiveness. Again, you may know the South London grime artist Stormzy, perhaps best known here for his political leanings, and just declared the BBC Musical Artist of the Year 2017. And his debut album, Gang Signs and Prayer, and of course he's the first grime artist to reach number one, he's revealed his Pentecostal roots in his track Grace. Don't you know the words? They're worth looking up. He writes this, Lord, I've been broken. Although I'm not worthy, you fix me. I'm blinded by your grace. You came and saved me, Lord. I've been broken. Although I'm not worthy, you fixed me. Now I'm blinded by your grace. You came and saved me. I'm blinded by your grace. If nothing else, a reminder that grace and forgiveness are not just old-fashioned concepts. Every generation needs God's grace. So the knowledge of salvation from the forgiveness of sins, where does that come from? Thirdly and lastly, from the tender mercy of God. Look at verse 78. 
because of the tender mercy of our God. You may know um, the word used in the original Greek here is a, is a wonderful word. It's actually pronounced splankna. What a wonderful word, splankna. And uh, it actually means entrails, the entrails of our body. It, you, we would say gut-wrenching. In other words, the tender mercy of our God, the splankna of God, is the gut-wrenching compassion of the living God. It's describing that feeling that you and I might have. You know when we see perhaps a picture of a, of a, of a child, a refugee, or somebody who's starving to death and a desperate, and you think, oh my goodness, look at that poor kid. You know that feeling? You feel punched in the stomach. Look at that poor woman. Look at that poor guy. It's used 11 times in the New Testament, but only in the Gospels, and always of God in Jesus, seeing crowds of people. In other words, we're reminded that now, as God watches the crowds of commuters trudging out of London, the crowds of shoppers in the high streets looking for Christmas gifts, the crowds in the football stadiums and the theatres over Christmas, most, of course, with no thought of whose birthday it is. And yet Jesus, as he looks at them, indeed Jesus, as he looks at us as we're gathered here this evening, is not full of condemnation and criticism, but is filled with a gut-wrenching compassion. Oh, look at them. Look at those poor people. It's interesting elsewhere, we're told, he sees people as harassed and helpless, literally skinned and crushed, or, or we would say stressed and burdened. That's us, isn't it? Our lives are stressed and burdened. And Jesus looks upon us with a gut-wrenching compassion. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine, a distinguished surgeon, buried his 16-year-old son, who died very suddenly in the prime of his life recently. He helped carry his son's coffin into the packed chapel of Wellington School, He finished his emotional tribute by saying that losing his beloved son, Charlie, had now taught him a little of what it cost God to save us in allowing his son to die in our place on the cross. He said he now understood a little of the tender mercy of God expressed in allowing Jesus, his son, to come at Christmas. The tender mercy of God. The knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins from the tender mercy of God. What does it lead to? Well, do you see what it says? A light that leads to peace. Do you see there in uh, verse 78? By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. In other words, into the darkness of our spiritual and moral and confusion. That's true, isn't it? There is spiritual and moral confusion in our culture at present. Jesus brings light like the sunrise after the night time. To show us the way of life that leads to peace with one another now, through forgiving as we have been forgiven. And, of course, peace with God in eternity through Christ's death on the cross. Now that is a deep peace that nobody can take, however frantic our lives are, to have that peace deep within our souls, to know that God is our Father in heaven, who loves us, that we're at peace with him, is a wonderful thing to know.
And if you've not yet known that peace, I'm here to tell you that it's available to you in Jesus Christ. Let me finish with a famous story of, you may know, of the uh, Japanese lieutenant, Hiro Onada, who in 1940 was parachuted onto Lubang Island in the Philippine Islands to uh, carry on guerrilla warfare in World War II. You may know that, unfortunately, he didn't finish fighting World War II until 1974 because he simply wouldn't believe that the war had ended. You may know that people tried to shout over loud hailers to him into the jungle, but he took pot shots at, at them with his rifle and ran off into the jungle. The Americans dropped leaflets on the island, but he dismissed it as propaganda. And so sadly he carried on for most of his life, fighting a war that had for a long time earlier finished, until finally at gunpoint two terrified students on the beach persuaded him that the war had ended, and he returned to Tokyo to a ticker tape welcome, but having wasted most of his life at war. And it struck me reading of his story that many of us do that. We spend our lives at war with God when peace was declared a long time ago. We don't have to be at war with God. We don't have to be his enemies, ducking and diving, trying to avoid him and get him out of our lives. We can be at peace with him, loved by him, looked after by him, and welcomed by him into heaven. Let's not waste our lives being cynical about the great news of that first Christmas, about this baby who would bring us the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, that gut-wrenching compassion revealed in Jesus. Why not make 2018 the year that we finally start enjoying unwrapping the very first Christmas present? Finally get to know the wonder of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Perhaps we might bow our heads and I'll lead us in a prayer. Perhaps a moment of quiet for you just to speak to God in your heart if you'd like to. Almighty God, in the cynicism of our age, we thank you for this rare opportunity to go back to the original text and to see what all the fuss is about. How we thank you for taking flesh in Jesus and in him to give us the knowledge of salvation, which is always a wonderful thing. Through the forgiveness of our sins and how we long to be forgiven because of the tender mercy of God, this gut-wrenching compassion. How amazing that our Creator should look upon us with compassion. And so we pray, whether we're new to these things and find it all rather strange, or have been familiar with them for many years, we pray, Lord, that this Christmas might really be the good news that it should be, and that we might spend the coming year unwrapping that first Christmas present, the gift of your Son to be our Saviour. We pray that in the coming year, all of us here would discover more of your love and your kindness expressed to us in sending us the Prince of Peace. We ask this in his great and glorious name. Amen.
Thank you very much for coming this evening. If you would like to reflect further on the message of Christmas and the wider claims of the Christian faith, you'll find a blue card on your chairs with details of a weekly course called Life Explored that begins in January. There are also weekly Bible study groups that run at various times for members and staff and chapel services on Tuesdays and Wednesdays when Parliament is sitting. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback, so do complete the feedback forms on your seats and either leave them on your seat or post them back to us. Please do join us directly after the service for mulled wine and mince pies in the IPU room, which is straight across from Westminster Hall. On behalf of Christians in Parliament, we wish you a happy Christmas. Let us pray together before we finish and sing our final carol. Now may the wisdom of the wonderful counsellor guide us, the strength of the mighty God defend us, the love of the everlasting Father enfold us, the peace of the Prince of Peace be upon us, and the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with us this night and forevermore. Amen. Amen.